as we've been reading through the Bible, we finally finished up the uh, Old Testament, the end of what can also be referred to as the Hebrew Bible, the, the reason why uh, it's Hebrew Bible or Old Testament is uh, that the prophets that came before Jesus uh, end it with Malachi. Uh, that was the book we looked at last week. And there was a 400-year period that can be called the intertestamental period that uh, happened between the last prophet, uh, Malachi, and the coming of John the Baptist. And for those that believe that John the Baptist was a prophet and that he led the way for the Messiah, the, the Savior that was talked about in those other books, uh, we call it the Old Testament and the New Testament, because there was the Testament that spoke of the coming of Jesus, and then there's the, uh, the prophets, the, the people that spoke uh, after the coming of Jesus, explaining Jesus. Uh, and if you you don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah, then you oftentimes just refer to it as the, the Hebrew Bible, those first ones that just speak of the coming of the Messiah, and you're sort of left uh, waiting to see who that will be. But for us uh, as a church, uh, the only real distinction is, is that we believe that Jesus was the Messiah, and that he was the person that was spoken of. And these first four books that we're looking at, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we're going to read through Luke uh, this week, and we're looking at Luke today. These are all uh, sort of uh, historical accounts of uh, different encounters that people had with Jesus, firsthand experiences. There, Some of them are in chronological order, and others are put together to to make a point and aren't meant to be uh, chronological. But, but in any case, what they are is just people's recollections of what it was that happened when Jesus came and the things that he said when he spoke and the things that he said that he did. And we know from other historical documents that while people were still alive that were eyewitnesses to this, uh, that these books were written and people actually went around and there's evidence of people fact-checking and, and asking people, hey, you were here when this happened. Is this what you heard Jesus saying? You were here when this happened. Is this what you remember seeing? And so what we're looking at here is uh, in Luke, I picked this because it's uh, unique to Luke. Much of Matthew, Mark, and Luke are the same exact stories, just sort of told from a different perspective. If you look at an eyewitness to something, someone will see something from this angle and will remember certain details, and someone may look at it from over here and remember other details. So, so there are some differences between them, but that doesn't necessarily point to some sort of error. It just points to one person is including some details that the other person isn't. And so what we're looking at today is, uh, I, I think it's interesting. One of it is, is Jesus coming into what was known of as a synagogue. In, in our readings, uh, prior to Malachi, you may not have heard anything about a synagogue or this form of people gathering once a week in local places that might have had a building. It might have just been an outdoor arena, but it was an area where people were gathering for prayer and to read from the Bible and to be able to talk about it. And here's someone explain, this is how this passage reads to me. Uh, much like we are doing right now and we've been doing in the church on Sundays. 
that model of synagogues or churches, you might say, depending on where you're at, that developed during this uh, intertestamental period, this period of time between Malachi and the coming of John the Baptist and the coming of Jesus. And so that was one of the things that uh, believers in Jesus uh, accessed or made it, uh, you know, were able to join into as they shared about Jesus and shared these stories about Jesus, they had an avenue to do that because there were these weekly meetings at these synagogues. And as, you know, the difference between people's view of who Jesus was uh, became more and more distinct and those meetings started to separate, that's when we have uh, what we see today uh, in Christian uh, circles is churches meeting once a week to pray. And, and so it's the same model that's coming. And what we see is that Jesus came into that model and he was teaching uh, there. It says he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, verse 10. And we have uh, examples of his teaching, what it was that he was saying just before this. And then there's an example just after that. And so those two teachings were placed there by Luke to be able to uh, for us to be able to gain some insight into what it was that was happening here in the story that we're reading with this woman getting healed. The teaching that Jesus gives before that is that there's a person who owns some land and he has a fig tree and he says to the gardener, hey, look, I've been coming to this fig tree for three years. There hasn't been any fruit on it. And so cut it down. But the gardener says, no, 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 no. just wait a second. Let me just fertilize it. And then we'll see, and if next year no fruit develops, then cut it down. But, but let's just wait and see. And, and so as Jesus and as God came down to earth and became one of us and, and walked among us, as Jesus walked into this gathering, like what we have today, where we've gathered together to worship God, to pray, to hear uh, what God has to say. A as he walks in, what the teaching is, you know, pretty clearly, at least one aspect of it is, he comes in and just says, what, there's no fruit here. This isn't, there's no purpose for this. And a lot of times when we come into a church, that's the feeling we get. We look at it and we just wonder, what, what is going on here at this worship service? Lots of people feel that way coming into a worship service what is this all about? Nothing is happening here. There's no reason, zero reason for this to exist. It, it, it just would be better if it was just gone. And what Jesus says is, no, he's going to come in and he's going to fertilize it. He's going to do something to cause a change so that it is now worthwhile, so that something worthwhile is happening. In other words, if the church is just about us, and if it doesn't have anything to do with God or anything like that, if Jesus isn't real, then it's a completely worthless endeavor. There's zero. There's nothing going on here. There's no use for it whatsoever. The only way that a church service is made worthwhile is if Jesus shows up and fertilizes it, or, or Jesus comes in and does something to make it so that it is going to be worthwhile. And that's what he gives the example then here of, is the example is uh, he comes in and he teaches, and then he does something for this woman. 
And so what Jesus is saying is the things that he's doing in this service, it would be worthless if it wasn't for the fact that he's going to come in and speak to us, and he's going to do something to change our life. And in this story, we can see that change extends to the point of someone who has an infirmity or has been uh, oppressed for 18 years, that, that even in, in, in a case when nothing seems to be able to be done, when it's obvious there's no human help that can be given, even in that, to that extent of a miraculous, Jesus is going to make changes. So when Jesus steps in and speaks to us, when Jesus steps in and makes a change in our life, then that gives us something, that like fertilizes us, that, that gives us some sort of uh, change that enables us to have a life that's going to be fruitful. And what he describes in the teaching after this, he says it's the kingdom of heaven that looks like then, if that grows, is it looks like a man who's just cast a seed out. And cast doesn't just mean careless or without intent. That was just a form of farming. One form of farming is to take a seed, plant it all in a row, or to grow it out into some little sprouts and then carefully plant it and take it all individually. And you see that in California, that's the way trees are grown. They're in a perfectly straight line, perfectly spaced out apart, and there's that way of farming. This is another way that the person doesn't cast the seed without intent. They want a tree to grow, but they don't really know where it's going to, it just lands somewhere, and then wherever it goes, it grows up from there. And so what he's saying is, is he's going to come in and make these changes and do these things and speak to us as a church and to people in a worship service, and the result is going to be that a tree will grow, and he says all the birds of the air will find rest. So the result is is something will sprout up from that, and you'll know that it's something that God's done because there's going to be tons of people that are receiving rest from that. And so the example might be what Andrew was talking about, that even though we're a small church and we've we have this arm, uh, this extension, which is the nonprofit tribe, and, and we're now able to give out, be a part of giving out these grants in the community of 400, 500,000, and, and also all the food that we've been giving out to people. That, that's not uh, anything about us, but it is something that you would look at and you're saying, well, there's just a lot of people receiving some rest now because of these different things that that are going on. And what we believe as a church is this is something that Jesus is doing, that that he's planted something for us as church, and he's allowed us to participate in him building up something that's going to give people rest around us. And and so what we first see is how, how that happens, what that looks like when Jesus steps in and does something. It says, there was a woman who for 18 years had a sickness caused by a spirit Um, That doesn't necessarily mean that she was demon-possessed. There are other passages that we're going to read through as we read through this week through the Gospels where it's very clear it's talking about someone that's demon-possessed, which means that there's a demon. Jesus would come and he'll talk to someone and say, you know, who are you? What is your name? And the the demon will respond and say, my name is Legion because we are many. There's that type of interaction. There's not that type of interaction here. Uh, He does point to it that it's not just a physical condition, that it's actually, he's saying they're oppressed by Satan. So there is this spiritual uh, force that's pressing this upon her. And it's been uh, going on for 18 years. 
And that's important for us to see, because sometimes when we start thinking in the church about uh, people, you know, getting healing in a service, we just think, well, it needs to happen right now. And if it doesn't happen right now, then they just don't have faith. That, that's not what this story is about, because the woman's been in this for, has been coming to the service for a long time, and it's been 18 years. It's just an event in the, per, in the person's life. And it's something that God had done other things in her life, but this is just something that is very large and it's sort of a culmination of something. It says that uh, she had been bent over double, could not straighten it up. And when Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, woman, you're freed from your sickness. And he laid hands on her. And then it says immediately she was made erect and began to glorify God. Uh, one of the things that we see when we read through the Bible, and this is a common mistake that we all make when we read through uh, these accounts of Jesus, is we look at a story like this and we think, okay, well then we need to make our worship service in such a way that we have an opening for people to receive this kind of healing. And that's a great idea. There's nothing wrong with that. But the point of this story is not that people will be healed if we do something like that, because this service didn't have anything like that, but she was still healed. And the point is, well, maybe we need to have be attached to a, a pastor. We're going to hear that in a minute. That, that's good. This one seems to be bad. It doesn't matter because Jesus came in and did it regardless of who that was. In other words, the point of what's being said here is not an encouragement for us to go out and form a service so that we will do it right. The point of it is to say, whatever it is that we're doing, whether it's right or wrong, it's going to end up being worthless. And even if we're doing it completely right, Jesus is capable, and Jesus is not just capable, but Jesus is willing. And this is a story of Jesus stepping in and saying something and doing something, regardless of what was right or wrong without the service. And what that is, is this moment when, if, you've, if this is your first time in a uh, Sunday morning service, or you've been many times, one of the things you'll come to recognize is there's this moment when you feel like maybe someone's talking like I'm talking, uh, pastor or whatever. Sometimes it's during the music, you'll hear a song, but you'll have this moment where you just feel like, I feel like this is just talking directly to me. I, I don't know how this person could know how it connects, but you just have this sense that it's talking to me. And, and what that is, is Jesus is speaking to us. And, and connected to that is not just him talking, but there's an action. And, and it may be big, it may be small, but there's this change that starts to happen. That's Jesus sort of fertilizing or laying something down that enables us to have some growth from that. And the promise that's here is not a promise of if we do it right, then that will happen. The promise is not if we have that expectation, then it will happen. The promise is not if we have faith, then that will happen. If we are good people, then that will happen. The promise is, is regardless of who we are, what we have or haven't done, regardless of whether we're doing it right, there's no indication here that the woman had any kind of expectation or anyone else had any kind of expectation. The point is, is that regardless of what we've done that might be labeled good or right or this or that, Jesus did do this. 
And so that's an important perspective to have because the point of the story is, is, is not how do we get Jesus to do this or how is it that we can, you know, make this so that this happens or how is it that we can contribute to this? The point of the story is Jesus is doing this. And oftentimes we ask ourselves, we say, well, why is it I just don't see that happening? You know, when I come to church, or many times I come to a church service, and it's not happening. And that's what we're going to go into next. But the promised up front is, is that Jesus is doing that. And the point is not, oh, so now we've got to go because of that. The point is just saying, look, if you want to meet Jesus, if you want to hear from Jesus, his promise is, if you come to a church service like this, he's going to meet us there, regardless of how good or bad the church is, regardless of how good or bad anyone else is, regardless of what our expectations are. In a worship service like this right now, and it's not the only place that Jesus will meet us, but in this story, what we see is people were coming to this weekly thing, and Jesus came and met them there, and the promise that he's giving through that is that he will meet us when we're there. And, and I remember the first time that I really put that to the test. I hadn't really uh, been going to church. I, I really didn't like church. I didn't like church people. I, I avoid it uh, both. But for some reason, for the longest time, I, I wasn't feeling as though I needed to go to church regularly. That came later. But, but to start with, I just remember feeling just go to a worship service or go to some sort of Sunday service. I just kept feeling like that and I couldn't shake it. And I just sort of felt like that for like a year to finally, I was just frustrated in kind of a, a weird place in life and whatever. And finally I just said, all right, I'm just going to go. And I didn't, there was, this wasn't the internet. I didn't have recommendations. So I, what I did was I just got on a bus and I just rode the bus till I saw a church. And I got off the bus, I went into the church, I sat down, and as soon as I sat down, the church service was already going, the pastor started preaching. And I don't remember what the passage was, but it was some passage, and I don't even remember what the point was, but the passage and the point, it sort of bypassed all that. And what happened was, is I felt like, and this is just for me, you can deny it or not, but this is what I felt, I felt like God was saying something to me. And it was very specific, and it was a turning point for me. But I walked out of that church, and I first thing I thought was, God, was that, you know, what, that was just me making some stuff up in my mind, you know? Is that just weird, that feeling? And so I just said to God, God, if that's you, then you're going to have to do it again. So I got back on the bus, and I went, and I rode in the bus for a long time until I saw another church. I got out, and, and I walked in there. And again, when I walked in, it was right even though it was at a different time, I don't know, a person was standing there preaching. And it was the exact same passage as the last person. And the point was the exact same point, And the exact same feeling I had was there. And I walked up, well, that's just the most bizarre thing, I thought. And so I thought, well, got to do it again. If that, I got back on the bus, I went to a third place. The exact same thing happened. Now, I'm not saying go do that or that this is, I'm just saying that to me at that moment, for whatever reason, God made something very clear to me. And what he made clear to me was not I'm good person or not bad person, not that the church is good or that I can trust church people. There's none of that. I didn't have any of that. The only thing that I pulled out of that is Jesus will meet me here. 
if I if I need him, if I need to hear from him, if I need something changed, I, I mean, I'm sure he can meet me somewhere else. But but just like I have something solid, I could just go to one of these things, and he'll be there. That that's what I felt. The problem. You know, where, where's the problem lie? Why, why is it that that is not always the case? Why is it many times we walk in, why is it many times people walk in to a church service and don't hear anything but just a bunch of goofiness? Is it because something needs to change in the church? Something? Well, the message of the gospel is, is that Jesus is going to do it whether we're doing anything right or not. And so the message cannot be, unless we're calling Jesus a liar, the message cannot be that the problem is that we need to do something right in church in order for people to have that experience. The problem is something different, and what's laid out here is that the problem is with us. In other words, the problem could be that the church is just messed up and God's not going to use it, and but that's an obvious thing. Of course the church is messed up. Of course people are messed up. So if, if it was ever dependent on that, then it would never have happened in the first place. So when we say the problem is the church is messed up or this needs to happen or that needs to happen in the church or better people need to be here or better people need to be well, that is a given. Well, that's just that, of course, that is the case. But what we're really saying, if that disconnects us from it, it is that Jesus isn't willing to go past our mistakes. Jesus isn't willing to bless us and, and uh, uh, apart from our works. And, and that means that the things that he said, he's lying about, and that Jesus isn't going to do it. But what this passage says is, no, Jesus is doing it, but there may be another reason why we're not seeing it, or we're not connecting to it. And the reason why might be that Jesus is doing it, and he is telling us something, but we don't like it, and we're pushing back. And here's the example that we see. It says, the, but, the, but the synagogue official uh, became indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. Uh, indignant means he had a violent sort of response to it. It sort of just sort of struck him as wrong. And he says, uh, he healed on the Sabbath, and he began saying to the crowd in response to this, there are six days in which work should be done. So come to them and get healed, come during them and get healed, and but not on the Sabbath day. So, this guy saw it, he experienced it, he heard Jesus' words, he saw this. But there was this moment when he felt like what was happening or what was being said and what this was leading towards and that the result of this was something that sort of violated something that he thought what was really important and that couldn't be violated. This, this couldn't be something that God was doing because it doesn't fit with what I think things should be like. And the truth is, nowhere in the Bible does it say that you shouldn't heal on the Sabbath, that someone can't be healed on the Sabbath. That was his interpretation of that, 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 that healing is the equivalent of work. And so we shouldn't be working on the, the Sabbath. But whatever the case is, 
it's this moment where in his heart he had this sort of jarringness and it just something that was said sort of made him push off and just say, no, I'm not going to accept this. And, and that's what happens many times in a church service. It happens to me all the time in a church service is, is I can, Jesus is saying something, Jesus is doing something, and it would be life-changing, but I'm pushing it off so much because I don't like, you know, there's this person or that person. I have all these like sort of holy principles that seem to be violated here by this. It's not fitting with the way I think things should look. I feel like these people should be about, but this is, look, when I look at here, this just doesn't seem right, this group of people, or I, I think of this or that. There's just all these different things that I just strike me as like, this This is a, the God that I'm worshiping, or, or what's good, what's right, what's justice, what, what's whatever. It, this doesn't fit with that. And so I'm going to, that's all I can think about is just pushing it off. I can't think about accepting it because in order to accept it, it would sort of violate some things that I feel like are groundbreaking or crucial or just, it, it can't be that way. Now, what Jesus says about that, he says, you hypocrites, does not each of you on his Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from a stall and lead him to water? And this woman, a daughter of Abraham, as she is, whom Satan has bound for 18 years, should not she have been released from this bond on the Sabbath day? And as he was saying this, all of his opponents were being humiliated, and the entire crowd was rejoicing over all the glorious things being done by him. He starts with this word hypocrite. Um, one of the things that happened during this intertestamental period was that the synagogue uh, we don't know exactly when or how or what, but we just know that there is archaeological evidence of synagogues that are built in different places around the world that date back to that intertestamental period. The other thing that happened is for much of the Jewish nation, they were also, and, and people throughout that section of the world were learning Greek because it was the uh, mode of business and that type of thing. In other words, people were speaking in the Greek language. So the the, and if you learn language, you also have to learn, you know, the way things are used in idioms and things like that. What, what that word hypocrite means in the Greek, because that's what this letter was written in in Greek, and what they would have understood it in as Greek, is the word hypocrite was very commonly used at that time period. And, and it was used, obviously, it's used to, uh, as an inference towards something, but, but what it was literally used for was to describe actors in place. You know, if someone's up there acting, they, uh, they would call it, you know, there was this word for hypocrite. He was, it's basically just a person who's acting out a role in a play. And what Jesus says, look, we're going to have these moments when Jesus speaks to us. If we come to a worship service and it's not the only place, but when Jesus speaks to us and Jesus does something to us or we see it happening to someone else and the, the point of it is to evoke this change so that we can have a life that is, you know, that's useful in the sense of people being able to find rest in their connection to us. That the reason when that happens, one of the things that's going to happen is eventually we're going to have this moment where we push back on it because it's violating something that we think is right and pure. But Jesus says, 
I'm not violating anything. You just think I am. And the reason why you think I am is because you're caught up in acting out a role that isn't even true to who you really are. In other words, it's like saying, you know, if, uh, you know, I don't know, stupid stuff. Let me try and think of, we got uh, like Tom Cruise. If Tom Cruise was to come to me on the street as Tom Cruise, I wouldn't really, and he's saying, you know, give me your wallet or something like that. You know, I probably wouldn't just wonder. It's like, well, I don't know, you know, but if, if, if Tom Cruise was like the actual character in some of his movies where he just beats all these people up and all this stuff, and, and then I might be a little bit worried, you know, if it's like Sylvester Stallone, if it was Rambo, I'd be worried. What, what he's saying is, is we have, these things were like that type situation. We've created, or a better way of putting it is, have been, these identities have been imposed upon us. And as these identities have been imposed upon us, some by other people, some as a response to those, we've imposed it on ourselves. but we've been creating this sort of identity about who we want to be that there will be times when he comes, what he's doing is he's pulling away that identity. And if that identity, like this woman, has been people oppressing you and impressing this identity, he calls her, he says, uh, this, this woman who is a, a child of Abraham, as she is. Well, what he means by that in their culture was when you were sick like this, you were thought of as a sinner and not really a member of, not someone that God loves and God cares about, not a child of God. And so there was this image, this, this identity that was being imposed on her that wasn't true. Just because she was struggling through something doesn't mean that she was this person, that everyone was this identity that they were imposing on her, this generalization about her, that they were saying, this is who you are, this is what you're like, and they're imposing that on her. When that's stripped away and everyone can say, well, we can't say that anymore because she's healed, that identity is taken away, that feels great. And sometimes when God speaks to us and, and, and he changes things in our life, the, what he's doing when he changes those things is he's taking away an identity that has been imposed, that has been oppressing us, and replaces it with a new identity. And that new identity is the truth. It's who we really are. And that's we're loved by God. We're children of God. But there will be times when we've created an identity or other people have put an identity on us that we really like that we think is really good, that we think needs to be there. And we think there's different things about that identity that need to stay this way. When he pulls that away, then we're going to like pull back and we're going to have this reaction. That's what he says is happening here. That our reaction, it's not really about something that's right or wrong. It's because the identity has been pulled away. And in our case, we're upset by it because we were attached to it. We thought something good was coming from it. And I don't know, if you've been, probably your uh, newsfeed, you have a different uh, AI pushing you newsfeed, so you may not have that. I looked on Karen's phone, she doesn't have a single article about this. Her AI knows she's just not at all interested. But for me, I, I keep getting just all these feeds about Mike Tyson. And, you know, AIs are pretty smart. They know 
you know, he's about my age, whatever, that I'm just going to click on it every time that it sends me one of those. But, but one of the things that I found interesting about uh, Tyson is that he was talking about this upcoming fight and him being able to like kind of do, get back into this, this sport uh, that, that he's enjoyed and he's had a 15 year break. He said, look, I've got this part of me, this, my ego, he called it, that's telling me you're great. You're awesome. You know, you can defeat anybody. You can, this is your sport. You know, you're the best at this. That, that's what he's saying is, is there's this identity that's not just in his head, but other people around him are pressing on him all the time. And he knows it. He says, I know it's not true. I know it's lying to me, but I've got this other thing pressing on me saying, no, that's not true. That's a lie. You're a loser. You know, you can't do anything right. And that's the way it is. He's just honestly giving a description. That's what's going on with us. There's people in the world. There's our past experiences with people. There's things that people have said. There's things that we're telling ourselves that's pushing this one identity on us that says, you're just a loser. Nothing can happen. No one cares about you. No one loves you. And then we've got this other thing sometimes where people are just saying, you're the greatest thing in the world and this and this, and you're pushing this ego thing. And it's that you find refuge in that. But we know that neither one of those, and what Jesus is saying is like, this is Satan that's doing this. He's posed it as though there's only two options, that either this one's true or this one's true. But the truth is they're both lies. It's not the case that we're losers. It's not the case that we're the best person in the world. But when we're down here and God says, look, this is incorrect. You're not a loser. I love you. I care about you. That feels good, and we'll take that in. But when we're up here thinking, I've accomplished something, I've done something, and God takes that away and says, look, you're just, the fact is you're just loved by me. I care about you. I love you. When it takes that away, we, 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 it pushes back on us because we found some sort of refuge in that. And, you know, oftentimes people oppress us, and it's really Satan oppressing us with this negative identity. We'll create another identity to combat that. And we'll find refuge in that identity that we've been creating about ourselves and, and joy in that. And when God takes that away, he's not taking it away to say that all this negative thing that everyone is doing, he's taking it away because he's saying there's something better than that. And both of these are a lie. And so if we want to accept the change that Jesus is bringing and hear what Jesus has to say, there's going to be a moment when we'll think it's violating something right and something that can't be changed, something that I have to have, something that it has to be there. But that's not true. It's not violating that. It's giving us something wonderful and telling us we're loved by God. We're children of God. We don't need that. That's not a true refuge. And all that does is just sets up this conflict that we have between these these warring characters or identities that, that are going on. What Jesus is saying is, I'm here. I'm alive. I'm talking to you. You know I'm talking to you. You can feel it in your heart. And you can test me on that because I'm going to do things in your life to confirm it. And you'll be able to see things in other people's lives that will confirm this. 
And what this is going to do, it's not really so much about an external change. It's not so much about, you know, my arm was broken and now my arm is healed. That's not the, the fact of whether my arm is broken or not. That's all external. That may matter for some identity that we're trying to pull out. He's saying that's all external stuff. When I do that, the real benefit of doing that isn't that now my broken arm was healed like a month earlier than it was before. The benefit of it is it lets me know that I'm loved by God, that he cares for me, and that that's where my identity lays. That's where my protection, that's where my hope is. And when we catch on to that, when that seed is planted in our hearts, that, as it grows, becomes a place where people can finally nest or get find a rest from this conflict of this sort of actor's battle of creating these images about ourselves that are rivaling each other, where we're all just talking about external things that have nothing to do with anything. What matters is who loves us? Who do we love? Who are we on our inside? Is it the way we look? Is that who we are? No, who we are is, is on our inside. And what's important is, is who we are on the inside, who it is that we're able to connect to. And, and when we're thinking through all these things like this, then we're just going to end up alienating people. And instead of it being a wonderful time of connecting with someone when they're healed, we're going to try and try and keep them in their place or, or try and do this or trying to, we're just going to mess it all up, which is what we're going to do no matter what. He's not saying, oh, we're going to be able to fix all this. He's just describing to us what the reality is so that we can know the truth. The reality is here's our game that we play. And this is messing us up. And we're at fault for it, but this is what Satan is pushing on us for the purpose. And he's encouraging that, and he's doing everything he can to conform on us. And, and all it's doing is just pressing us down and harming on us. And we do it to ourselves, we do it to other people, and, and it's Satan who's orchestrated to press us down, to sort of suck the life out of us, to keep it so we can't enjoy who it is that we really are which is loved by God. He's doing it to mask the love that God has for us. And what Jesus is saying is, I will meet you, and I will speak the truth to you, and you'll know it because I'll speak it to your heart, and I'll confirm it with action so that you can see something has changed, something's different, and it may be something small, it may be something large. And if you're looking for that, I promise you I'm going to do it I'll do it in one of these services. It's a place where you know you can go, and I'll be there, and I'll meet you. But know this. There's going to be some moments when we push back on things that I'm saying. And you need to understand it's not because you're holding to something righteous. It's because we're holding to an image of ourselves, a character that's been created, and we're afraid of letting that go. We're afraid that if we let that go, then we'll be this other person that everyone is defining as bad. What will be this other person? And we find refuge in this. He says, no, you don't need this, and you don't need this either. <laughs> I'm freeing you from both of those and letting you know 
And the blessed thing is, is it's going to be life-changing. I guarantee you, if Mike Tyson came to grips with the fact that his ego is lying and this other thing telling him it's a loser is lying, but if he could just grab a hold of the fact that God loves him, that Jesus loves him and cares about him, and he's the one who's taking care of him, and he's the one who's giving him all the... That would be life-changing. And when that happens... The promise is, is that it won't just be us finding rest, that we'll be able to have the joy of participating in the rest that comes from this, being a child of God, coming out to everyone that we love and care about. And it will give us a, a new kind of relationship. And Jesus says, I guarantee you that will last forever. I guarantee you that will not end. Because in this life, there'll be forgiveness. And in the life to come, I'll make sure that it never ends. And that's the hope that Jesus is giving. That's the salvation that had been talked about throughout the entire Old Testament. That's the salvation that has been spoken of. And, and that's why you can see in this story of Jesus, there's this disconnect going on because people think of salvation as saving us from this false identity to give us this false identity. Jesus isn't doing that. He's not saving us from this false one to say this ego one is what's great. He's saving us from both of them and revealing our true identity that the devil is trying to hide, that we are loved by God. He cares about us. He loves us. He is in our life. He is doing things to us. He is saying things. He is living this with us, regardless of the ups and downs that are happening. He is here because he cares. And when we see that, that will bring about the result that Jesus is saying. He says it's it's something we're going to struggle with here. We'll have that in heaven, and we'll have no doubt, but we can start grabbing a hold of that right now. But as we do, just know there's going to be moments when that hurts. <laughs> there's going to be moments when we're confused with that. There's going to be moments when we're grappling with, I don't see this can't possibly be what Jesus is doing, because this, this goes against these... It's don't worry about that. That's okay. That's just part of this process of Jesus taking away these false identities that are, we're latching to for hope and that we're being oppressed on and, and our hope taken away from us. Uh, don't lose hope as we go through those clashes, as we go through struggling with that. It's just part of what Jesus is doing. And in fact, it's a sign that Jesus is working in our life. Let's pray. Jesus, we just thank you so much for cutting through all the things that have been oppressing us, uh, some that are bad that are being pressed upon us, some that are seem good to us, but are a false place to have hope. I pray that you just really, we just want to thank you not pray that you would, but we just want to thank you for pulling away what's false and for revealing to us what's true. Thank you for the grace and the patience that you have on us. Thank you for the gentleness and the way that you do that for us. And we just pray that you would soften our hearts to make that easier for us, Lord. Uh, soften our hearts, bring us to a place of repentance, and help us to just grab a hold of the direction that you're leading. 
uh, sooner rather than later. And let us become a place where we and where others can, can find rest in what it is that you're doing in our lives and in our life of our church. Uh, we ask this all in your name, Jesus. Amen.